0: Welcome to Rise and Rouse, a podcast for people who give a damn. We are well on our way to 600 downloads. I am loving seeing how our listenership is growing by leaps and bounds. This is your host, Erin Allgood, social impact strategist, consultant, and small business owner. This week on Rise and Rouse, you'll hear my conversation with Ike Warren, certified public accountant who spends his days helping his clients with any and all tax-related questions. He recently merged his solo business with CPA Collective, where he is able to more fully infuse his commitment to justice into his tax work. We talk about how he takes an educational approach with his clients, empowering them with the knowledge of the nuances of the industry and making taxes less intimidating. We also dive into what it means to center justice in his work and the importance of being present in the little moments that make a big difference in our daily lives. So, I'm really excited to have my very good friend and CPA here today, Ike Warren. We're going to have a lot of fun talking today. I'm so excited to introduce him to everyone that's listening. So, Ike is a CPA with experience in small business and corporate tax. He's been growing his own business to provide accounting and tax services for small business owners. And his approach is really rooted in trying to educate his clients on the nuances of the industry and get them to be less intimidated by the nature of taxes because it's it is overwhelming. And when I met you five years ago, I was so terrified of my taxes and you have made them almost like fun now.
1: <laughs> I, I, I try to give it my best shot to uh make tax look a little less scary. <laughs>
0: yeah. You definitely do. It's like I've I my entire um my knowledge base has grown and my confidence has grown significantly over the last five years since we've known each other.
1: Definitely. I, I mean I I can definitely see it from our conversations the first year into our conversations now where we mainly just get to have a lot more fun.
0: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) so much better. It's we have a great time and it's like, yeah, three hours will go by and we're like, oh, okay. It took us the three hours because we spend two of it talking before we actually do work. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So why don't you give a little bit more just information, like just share a little bit more about yourself, some of the gray area that we haven't, that doesn't make it into your bio.
1: Yeah, I I think a little bit of um, the bio might show up in in kind of the way I I, I say it. But really, I've been doing accounting full time since 2011, came out of my master's at UNH and just kind of went the traditional route into firms. And then I got picked up by a corporation about $500 million size, got into corporate tax and got a little bored. (laughs) So I started my own business where um, I had a lot of friends that were from the East Coast that were really... Trying to strike out on their own, a lot of businesses were going freelance versus W2 and just started working with them. And slowly but surely, I started to realize something was there. And really like from then to today, which was I think oh, about six years, you know, I've grown from one or two clients to about a hundred. <laughs> so you know as we sit today, it just keeps growing and and as I've been telling a lot of my clients as we do it, you know, this is my side business, you might get me at really weird hours, like I might send you an email at three in the morning. But I think I mean, it was always kind of impressing upon people that the eventuality is that this is going to become what I do. And so I've been trying to uh, every every step of the way, make more steps to bring it that way and to build up the client base and and get to the right spot.
0: And I love that you have just a bit of a different kind of, you know, philosophy in your approach to doing this kind of work. And we talked about you know, we've talked about before that, like, you're all about, like, teaching your clients to fish. And, you know, I would love for you to just talk a little bit more about that.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, So I think a big part of it, too, is I catch people off guard, because accountants aren't really known for having incredible personalities. (laughs) (laughs) Not to say mine is incredible, it's just different. Uh, But, uh, but really, like, I I like to approach a lot of what I do with uh, with my clients conversationally. And I think a big part of it is kind of just getting to know their fears, uh, getting to know what the holdup has been kind of on their side where taxes are that intimidating and kind of getting to the root of that. And I think a big part of helping assuage that fear is by teaching them. And so rather than just being the service where it's like, oh, give me your stuff. I'll do your tax return. I won't explain a thing to, oh, hey, I have a question about this deduction. I have a question about how I should be doing my accounting. And that's where I, I like to be able to sit down and have that conversation and, and tell them, oh, this is what we need to be doing. This is why we do it. And this is how it will make your return look and and kind of carry it through that process. So to the extent that my clients want to learn these things, I'm I'm very open to talk about and teach them. Usually when I talk about taxes, I just watch people's eyes glass over and they fall asleep. Uh, so it's, it's really nice when people are actually interested and in, in want to listen.
0: I mean, for me, it's definitely... You know, one of the things that I like about learning about accounting, if I can say that for (laughs) real, is
1: like... You don't have to lie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it like helps me. I mean, having you in my corner is like really helpful because I like I get to learn. I don't know. I I understand and have like ownership of my business and the finances in a way that I otherwise wouldn't. And like, so that's why I think this, you know, my, our partnership is like just so fantastic because I otherwise... I would just, I would know, I have no concept of what I'm doing. And it's, it's me It like, you're the person who I recommend to everybody. I probably have referred like 20 people to you. You do not ever make me feel stupid for asking what are probably really stupid questions.
1: <laughs> I There, there really aren't stupid questions, especially when it comes to tax. Like the best way I can explain it was the first tax class I had, we had an abridged version of the the U.S. tax code. It was 2000 pages, abridged, (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, I'm never going to know all of it. So I can't put that on people to, to assume they would know even some of the basic stuff of it that I think the big thing is when I'm working with clients, it's like that I'm explaining it well enough that they don't have to ask the same question. And I kind of gauge my success by that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, super powerful also to just be able to admit that you're not, you wouldn't necessarily be able to know everything that there is like you're an expert but still there are things you have to dig into because i think so many people especially in you know like the work that i do it's you know people are they have to they feel like they have to be perfect and know the answer to everything and if they don't there's some kind of a deficiency and like half of the time of what i am doing in my life is just going deeper and finding answers to something and or like just making shit up too which i can do in my my line of work you can't do that in your line of work <laughs> unfortunately
1: <laughs> there's gray area, but yeah, I can't make stuff up,
0: <laughs> but I think it's powerful to be able to admit it that you're like you would never necessarily know everything that you needed to know about the u s tax code, and that like being able to dive deeper into things as you need to is yeah huge.
1: well yeah it's it's a huge thing, like if I knew everything about the tax code, I wouldn't know anything else <laughs> yeah. because there's just too much and and I think um a big part of it too is um, how do I put it best? The big part with with the tax code and not knowing everything is I think my two top answers when people ask me a question is it depends or or I don't know, let me find out <laughs> because it's like having the skill set to know where to look or to know how to evaluate the tax code is more important than say rote memorization because as you know twenty eighteen twenty nineteen twenty twenty tell us the tax code can change pretty violently overnight, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. You know, so um, there's there's a lot there. And I don't know if you know too many accountants, but we're personally kind of conservative in the way of uh, we don't like uh, change. <laughs> so so uh, I can say I, I don't like change and risk too much. And that's why I kind of force myself into change and risk.
0: Yeah. Well, tell me more about that. Like what are in what ways do you force yourself into change and risk?
1: Trying to run my own business, I guess, is a big one. Um, another thing is in the sense of in the accounting field is trying to disrupt the industry by doing it this way, by being 100% remote, by not being a suit, by approaching it kind of with a sense of humor and uh, a more honest way of billing even, Um, you know, where a lot of my clients I work with are on like a monthly basis, or I tell them the flat fee that they're going to pay for the service. You know, I, I think that alone removes a lot of fear and makes a better engagement and relationship. So I think just trying to be different for the industry or try to put, I guess, the personality of our generation into the industry is kind of, I think, a risky thing in the accounting world. But at the same time, I think it's been highly successful.
0: Yeah. I I mean, it definitely helps for me too, because I, I think I had visited back in the day when I was married, we went to an accountant and it was like had to go into this like stuffy office, you know, this woman in a suit, and I. Did, there is
1: one plant in the corner.
0: <laughs> one plant in the corner in a dark room, <laughs> and like I and I didn't know, like I I could not understand anything she was saying, quite honestly, and it was it was painful. And I think one of the interesting things for like we're both millennials, you know, is that we're millennials are. I mean, I like to think that we're all doing things differently, but like I've been working with more recently, millennial executive directors in in my work, it is like such a difference. And I hadn't actually thought about it from that generational perspective before. But being able to work with someone of the same generation just makes a huge difference.
1: It takes down a lot of barriers of communication because it's like you're already at a higher level of personal understanding, right? Mm -hmm. And then like the other part too, is I feel like uh, we do it all the time. Like even me interviewing for this podcast, I'm putting on a personality. Right, where with a someone who might be two generations older, you might put on a different personality than with somebody with your generation. So it's uh it's one of those things where you kind of have to be a little cogent about yourself, <laughs> mm. right, and how you're how you're approaching your communication. But yeah, to to get back to like the the stuffy accounting firm, I think the thing that kind of cracks me up about it is like I don't know if it's on purpose or if it's just because they're so deep in like tax rules and and everything, but like. When you sit down with an accountant often they'll start talking about things that are so high level or they'll talk about it in a terminology that kind of just puts you kind of on the back of your feet. and it might be to display that they're experts it might be that just because they've they've been around it so much they don't know how to for lack of a better term dumb it down (laughs) you know and and i think um it it kind of gets back to albert einstein it's like you never truly know anything unless you can explain it to your grandma grandmother Mm. And that's kind of the way I feel about it, so it's like I always try to take the tax law, take the stuff i'm learning, and and bring it to people and teach them in a way that they're going to understand it and If I'm working with a lot of creative types who hate accounting and I can teach them accounting, <laughs> you know, then I must oh kind of know accounting, yeah, <laughs> and so that's kind of once again how i how I gauge myself on it, but it's like um, I think um the big thing I try is to really display to people that I'm not a fucking magician. <laughs> I do taxes. I'm a nerd. I love this stuff. It, it it interests me. But at the same time, I want to be able to teach my clients to be able to do it themselves, just to show them like, this is the real service I'm providing, not something that you couldn't achieve yourself.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that that's making it like accessible. And I mean, it makes me think about that gatekeeping that's in so many of these industries is so much rooted in white supremacy culture and <laughs> and systems yep. of oppression and like <laughs> systemic barriers to different things. And like, yeah. I, I love that you make it accessible. And I, I mean, I say all of that so that you can go riff on that now.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny too. Cause I was, I was literally having this thought this morning about, about how when you take an aspect of a culture or something someone likes and you say it's white supremacist or you say it's racist, the first thing they do is get defensive and they're like, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm not a racist. <laughs> and, and here I am, a white guy, definitely coming from a, an industry that is uh, very much white culture or very much privileged culture, at least. And the first thing I try to say is if it's something I like and there's you know racism in it or there's oppression in it, then I would, I'm kind of upset that the thing has that and that I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. Not that. I'm getting defensive or I'm being called racist. And so I think the big thing in it is trying to change it from within in the sense of, well, I'm trying to disrupt this industry. I'm trying to have the type of clients that a lot of firms throw out or don't want because they're either not making enough money, you know, maybe their art or maybe their work isn't something that the accountants really care for, (laughs) I guess is the most polite way to put it. But, but yeah, I think there's, There's so much in the industry that just exists underlying, like unconsciously in accounting that it's really kind of hard to even take perspective sometimes and and get to know, oh, wow, my industry really does kind of put people back in a press.
0: Oh, definitely. And I think it's so, so many different elements of it, like, charging by the quarter hour, char- you know, like super high hourly rates, which is, you know, like not to say that it's that it that people don't deserve those rates because they certainly do. Um for the specialized, you know, knowledge and everything, but that you also take time to get to know your clients in a way that like is just unprecedented, you know. I've just started with a physical therapist and she spent 2 hours with me the first time I met her and I was like, "Oh, this is a completely different level of just of just interacting with folks. And I, I like in so much, it makes it so much less transactional and more relational in so many ways.
1: Yeah. And, and actually to to get really kind of dystopian hunger games ease on you. <laughs> um, the Some of the firms I actually worked for, we would monitor our time and bill our time based on 10th of the hour. Hmm. So every six minutes, we were trying to find something we were, we did for the last six minutes. <laughs> and it's one of those things that like, because you're so focused on becoming neurotic about the, the inner competition between you and other people in your billable time and what clients are putting, how much time in, and are you under or over budget? It's like <clears throat> by putting these barriers up to even focus, uh, or to, to be able to take on clients and work, it really kind of already reduces the standpoint in which you can have or the perspective you can have in getting to know your client. And so that's why I like, I just try my hardest not to bill by the hour. There are some engagements or some clients that you just kind of have to because, oh, well, I don't know what we're getting into when we gauge this project. But I'm also like incredibly transparent when we get to that. But I think the big thing, you're, you're right, is like you never get an expert to just sit down with you for an hour or two hours and just have the conversation. And I think in my industry, particularly, if I get to know my client, if I get to know their business, if I get to know their personal life in that period of time, even if I'm not billing that hour, it's adding value, and that's going to come forth in, in the other work. It's going to make the tax return a lot easier. It's going to make the accounting easier to understand. It's going to make it easier to teach the person accounting because the number one thing about teaching is understanding your audience. So uh, I, I think it's pretty huge.
0: I love that. I just one of the things that was stri- like struck me as I was thinking about this interview today was the fact that I don't think you and I ever. Met face to face until like we had known each other for three years. We communicated via phone until like the oh, yeah. pandemic hit.
1: Well, I'll do you one better. We've never met in person. Right. <laughs> we've right. only done FaceTime or phone. Yeah,
0: which is wild. And it's like when we've been in each other's respective cities at the same time. We were like, oh, well, I was in LA. Trying to find get to you was gonna take me like four hours. So, <laughs>
1: like, yeah, it's like twenty I... miles, which means you're basically on another planet. Right. <laughs>
0: Good old Los Angeles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Gotta love that 405. Yep. <laughs> Hello to all my Angelinos.
0: Yep. <laughs> uh. Hopefully we'll have lots of West Coast listeners um, right. who will love that. Um, <sighs> Well, I mean, Can't but I even, Angelina's they are Yeah, you're you just like lost some street cred, um, but that's OK. Yeah, totally but you grew up in. So I'm just we're going to take a little bit of a sidestep here. Like you grew up in New Hampshire sure, yeah. and mm-hmm. I like northern New Hampshire in northern New Hampshire. I just talk about like who you are as a person and kind of like your upbringing, because I'm like I think people will get will be interested to hear that.
1: Actually, this kind of and, and I'll point it out later, but this is kind of something I wanted to get to in our conversation. But yeah, I, I grew up in northern New Hampshire, uh, Franconia notch area, well Bethlehem actually, so, and I'm the youngest of six kids, so I, I got called baby Jesus a lot. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> um, but uh, the big thing about New Hampshire, and by no fault of its own, it's an incredibly undiverse state, especially in its rural areas. I think a, a big thing about growing up there is you know when you're in that situation or when you're in that unconscious level of situation like you don't know and and you just kind of exist there and and it's incredibly rural i mean we had a i think we had a pretty low people per square mile kind of demographic there and so the way my family grew up was we grew up on the end of a dead end road that was a dirt road and we had the woods all around us so you know if uh, my mom was sleeping during the day cuz she was a a nurse and she would do the 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift if we were in the house and we were making noise we were dead so we were just out playing in the woods. <laughs> and so like now I'm in Los Angeles, which makes no sense. But I think the big thing around kind of growing up there and getting to know it is it wasn't until I started going to summer camp, I think it was around seven, that I really started to actually think about people's differences and cultures and things like that. And the reason why is I, I would go to this camp called Copper Cannon Camp. And it's actually um I donate there now because I, I freaking love that aspect of my growing up and and um it's a camp that provides free overnight camp it's a week long stay for kids in low income families or who are all around uh rural and also city new hampshire's and basically you get to meet all these kids from different areas you get to kind of learn about their town and at the same time all the counselors were coming from european countries i think we had some from new zealand some from australia and it was it was a great way to i think we even had one from south africa but it was like it was a great way to just like, oh, you call uh, the ground the floor. Okay. <laughs> you know, like Just kind of like even little tiny differences like that, where you're trying to just get to understand people's languages, people's culture, their differences, and kind of celebrate them. That really excited me because even just meeting these people made me want to travel to their countries, made me want to kind of like get to know their world. And, and I think if not for that diversity of culture, You know, I could have been a completely different person, but it was one of those things that sparked an interest in me where it was like, once I started to get to know that people were different and have all these different cultures and all these different influences and have seen all these different things, it made me just want to, it attracted me to different people in the sense of every time there's someone of a different culture, there's someone kind of who isn't from here and has, even has like an accent. I want to know about the accent. I want to like, I want to chase that down and kind of get to know And get to know their specific challenges to being a part of this culture now. And and so it was just one of those things that it planted the seed really young for me. And, uh, you know, I spent two weeks of summer there and it's an incredible amount of my memories from my childhood.
0: I was going to ask you just about, you know, like how you run like gazillions of miles, but you like took it into like a much deeper, much more beautiful direction. (laughs)
1: Well, yeah, I, I do run a lot and uh, I can I can run at mountains. And it's because if you don't like hiking and skiing in northern New Hampshire, you probably played a lot of video games and smoked a lot of weed. <laughs> yeah,
0: I just remember there was one time where we were talking and you're like, oh, I was like, wait, so how long was that like run, whatever? And you're like, uh, you like did the math in your head. You're like, oh, like that was like 15 miles. And then I still had like another three to go or whatever, like up in the mountains. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, oh, we're different people.
1: Uh, People would often call me the goat because we just like, you know how hiking in New Hampshire is. It's like, there's no switchbacks. You just go straight up a mountain. Mm -hmm. And that's the type of area on the trail where I would just kind of go hopping up the rocks. And I'd get to the top of the hill and I'd be looking down at people and they're like, you fucking goat. (laughs) Just (laughs) standing there on the edge of a rock like an idiot. Yeah. I love
0: that, though. That's like, I mean, just... But you never, I'm sure you never turned around and like were just like, oh, ha, ha! I'm amazing. Like you were there to like, you were doing, it was an experience with other people that you loved.
1: That was like my outdoors experience is, I think, one of the things that helped tailor kind of leadership skills. Because I, especially from the summer camp, like I, when I got older, I was part of this program. It was called a Ranger program where we actually spent a month at the camp, but we kind of just had free run of it. And we would go out for week long hikes, or we'd go out on backpacking excursions or all these crazy things. And um, a big thing around that was like, when I go out hiking with people, you know, the the occasions where I'm becoming that goat, right? Uh, I've had a lot of practice on these trails, I've had a lot of experience, especially with everything around. And so when I was taking people on the trail, it was part like, education, part like, okay, let's go see this pretty view. But it's also like, as I'm out hiking, I took hiking very seriously. I took making sure someone gets to the top and to the bottom safely. <laughs> I kind of took responsibility for the group and and made sure that you know we're moving at the right pace, making sure people are are staying hydrated enough, getting the nutrition they need. You know things like that where it's like I wasn't just simply going on a hike with a friend. It was like I was leading an outing. <laughs>
0: I love that. I love I mean it's just like I mean it speaks to just the leadership skills you have, I think, just in general and like you've cultivated over time. And like which of course I try. Yeah. I mean, but you've it's like you've parlayed it. Oh no, none of us are perfect. Perfect is bullshit. One of the one of the other guests on this um season is a perfectionist coach. So we talk about, oh. we talk all about that stuff. Um I love it. Yeah, perfectionism is bullshit.
1: I guess what I've always thought of it is like I always strive to be perfect, but I know I never will be. It's just one of those things is it's you never need to get comfortable where you are. You can, There's always something more to learn or more to do that can make you better at what you're doing.
0: Mm. So
1: it's like it, it's always the my view of perfect is always to try to take perspective to not plateau.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that as a as a you know perspective on it. For me, perfectionism can be crippling. <laughs> so it's a very different. <laughs> it's not aspirational for me. It is just like, yeah. oh, this is like will derail my life. But, it's, but that's exactly. part of it. It's like that's part of like mm. these things is having those different perspectives on, yeah, what that means to you, which I love, which I love that. Let's talk a little bit more about, you know, what it means to you to give a damn.
1: Oh, uh, giving a damn. Uh, Quite honestly, I think, um you know, we were having this conversation kind of just about smartphones and distractions. And mm. I think being present is the first thing about giving a damn. It's like it's so easy to. Be sucked into a different world when you're standing in front of the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and oftentimes, when you see the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life, you're holding a phone between you and it, and you're taking a photo. <laughs> and, and sometimes I think giving a damn is really just existing in the moment, being a part of that moment, mentally and physically, where you know you can just have that feeling, have the feelings you're feeling or even just kind of sit there and take stock and think in the in an area. It, it just allows you to kind of get in touch with your humanity a little bit. Like, I, I can't tell you now, like, how many times I've been in a one-on-one conversation with people, and they're unconsciously choosing to have a conversation with someone in a little black box in front of them, you know, at, where it's like, oh, I got to read this text. I got to answer this phone call. I, I I'm... There, you can tell people get distracted in conversation, and I, at a very early point, made a conscious effort to just, if I'm talking with someone, if I'm face to face with someone, if I'm out on a walk or you know out at something with people, I barely use my phone because I'm entertained. I have the people around me to make my moment. Like I think the reason why we use a phone or why I use it is I I got nothing to do and I'm just browsing the internet or. Or looking up uh, what crazy fucking thing Trump did today. <laughs> you know, uh, but outside of my own space, I don't like being on my phone because I want to be present there for the people that are also present for me. Mm. And that's why we call it present because it's a gift.
0: Aww. I love that. <laughs> I wonder if like part of like growing up in the mountains, like was part of that, too, though, because you you spent so much time out in the mountains.
1: Well, yeah, in the early ages of smartphones, too, you couldn't get service anywhere, so <laughs> it was it was really easy not to be distracted. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think um being out in the mountains and the forest, especially, I think is like an incredible level of green therapy, mm-hmm. And I've really noticed it now when I live in Los Angeles because I'm in the suburbs, and I don't have a lot of access to green space. And I notice that sometimes I get kind of just burned out, worn down, that that kind of heavy feeling. Like we're getting out of a bed seems to be an incredible chore <laughs> mm-hmm. and and I think you feel a weight come off of you when you get into a nature space. you You can just be there. like my favorite thing is to to go out hiking and take a camera and just take awesome pictures, but also just hike and be out in the activity and be out in nature, because sometimes, I guess the best way I can describe it is I'm an introverted extrovert. I don't really love being around people, but I, I, I like my small groups. And um, I always said in New Hampshire, we always had a lot more trees than people. And I, I really like trees better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you like people, though, like in, like I, you
1: said. I do. I love people. <laughs> just not in large groups. <laughs> yeah.
0: you. It's funny because, like, you radiate, like, extrovert energy to me. Just because you're so, like, gregarious and, like, just so... I don't know, like the energy that you have, but I can totally understand that like being a bit of a, yeah.
1: I'm going to, I think I'm going to botch the psychological term, but I think there's like, I think it's attribution or something where I learned pretty quickly that when you're in a conversation or when you're in an environment with other people, everybody for the most part is just as uncomfortable as you. Mm. (laughs) And and I think uh, a huge part of it is everybody always kind of looks at other people as being more confident and that kind of puts you in your shell. So it was kind of my thing to like, always kind of crack a joke or always, always try to like get people to smile, laugh and kind of loosen up a little bit because, you know, just sharing that discomfort with people is a joke in and of itself. Yeah. (laughs) Like you just walk into a group and do the awkward turtle.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I love that, that like you're (laughs) self-sacrificing for the comfort of the group.
1: (laughs) Well, it just makes the quality of every conversation that much better because you can get to a different level. You know, you can associate with people on, on a deeper level and kind of get them to know more humanly than just like, oh, I my name is this. I do this job. I'm from this place. You know, instead of that, you get you kind of get deeper conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and that's the stuff that interests me.
0: Yeah. Like getting to know somebody like for real, I think is it's underrated in our culture now and like it's so vitally important and I've tried to remember back when we first met each other. I don't remember, but I was like in a I was like a mess when we first met because I was going through my divorce. I was I like I don't
1: know what you're talking about. You were great.
0: <laughs> I probably cried a couple of times on our first
1: calls. <laughs> I they can't see this on the podcast, but I am nodding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> understandingly.
0: <laughs> I feel like you were part my divorce therapist as where I was going through this whole that whole process, which is I mean, again, testament to just who you are as a person. I,
1: I did do my minor in psychology and I really think it helped in the business world.
0: <laughs> oh my Lord. Yes. I think so too. We have talked before too, just about like what is it? what does it mean to center justice in your work? And we touched on that a little bit earlier on, but I'd love for, to hear you talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting because you really don't look at accounting. You don't look at finance as a field of really any justice. And I think there's a lot to be had there. It just needs to, you need to put your finger on it. And you need to, to see it, experience it and, and work with people. And I think the first aspect of kind of focusing on justice is the way I approach the work is, I think you just have to approach it with a level of humanity and understanding, and just getting to know your client, getting to know the people you're working with. Um, and I don't know, everybody is a person, everybody's human. Sure, we might have a different skin color, we're different genders, you know, different preferences, and all at the end of the day, like, especially from my perspective, is all of our tax returns look pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think a lot of people in the BIPOC community and like the LGBTQ uh, get excluded simply because of their surface differences and, and just not, you know, like not being acknowledged for being human. Uh, and, and so the first thing I try to do is I just get in touch with the humanity I get to know the people, I love having conversations with everybody, and the more different they are from me, the more I get out of the conversation. And and so I've really tried to focus my work on the type of people who want to learn about accounting, that want to learn about tax because they're trying to better themselves. Because that's where I can get the most value out of my work is, uh, I guess, taking that stress and taking that fear off their shoulders so they can pursue the thing that's getting them their revenue or getting them their their happiness um is and really when you think about it it's like just pay equity mm-hmm. is a huge barrier and and injustice and so just being able to be a resource for people in the community it allows them to make more money or to to be at a higher wealth or status that that shares the privilege of the of uh the white folk <laughs> yeah
0: I mean, I definitely I, you know, I think about it as, you know, one of the, my favorite stats, which I will not remember where it comes from, but is that even within the entrepreneur community, women are still um, there's still a huge wage gap between women and men, even when they're entrepreneurs. And so it's like you set your own rate. Why is that, you know, and and then that is carried through also into the LGBTQ community, into the tra- um, you know, trans folks for sure, like and i think that being able to like demystify and to make accessible the tax aspect of things is like one piece of being able to help folks to become you know just to have that kind of financial ownership and like to dispel that fear around all of that and it allows it allows it to level the playing field a little bit more.
1: Um, yeah, cuz it's like you know people like women and and then people of you know color have this this ultimate barrier of like what is the majority of the C suite in America, well, actually, pro- around the world, probably, it's cis white men <laughs> and actually old cis white men. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's even, you can throw in the generational thing there too. And so I think a big part of it is just like enabling people to be the CEO, enabling people to be the CFO or, or, or kind of grow in their role is incredibly empowering to a lot of the clients I've had. And, um, it's one of the things that even like back in the like and the companies I've worked at, like the W two companies, I would talk about my own compensation to an uncomfortable level with other employees because it was like one of those things where it's like, why are we keeping this shit secret? You know why why are we trying to hide it? It's I'm not being paid more because I'm better. I'm being paid more because I'm a white guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and the conversation could be like, not that Ike should be earning less. It's everybody needs to be earning more. (laughs) And so so that was the thing where it's like, I think a lot of people don't realize this, but it's illegal to stop an employee from having a conversation about compensation (laughs) with other employees. And so as much as the management gets uncomfortable with that, it's one of those things where it's like, too bad. And
0: thank goodness, like it's moving in a direction now where like companies are being—I mean—in California, you have to disclose salary ranges now, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, With with positions, they have to disclose salary range, and I don't believe they can ask what your current salary is anymore. Yeah, Um, yeah. So it's a little more empowering for employment.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic, and I do not think we have that in New Hampshire right now. (laughs) I'd be surprised. Come on. but I think it's, you know, it's one of those things I, as an entrepreneur, you know, like I have had to come to grips over time too, just around money. And like, this is, I mean, you, I think you can, you know, attest to this as well, but like, I remember probably when I first started out, I, I well, I probably can remember, I don't really quite, but like that, I was like really nervous about how much money I was charging people to like a severe detriment to my business. And, um, And most people that I know start off in the same way, too, where they're just like, oh, I need to charge like a low amount, one, because they're either basing it off of like how much they were making, you know, at their at their W-2 job. But also because I felt really, really uncomfortable participating in what I was perceiving to be like, I I didn't want to be a capitalist in any ways. I, I was just like, oh, my goodness, I that that association. And it took me a really long time. And a lot of reading and write, you know, to start to separate out the fact that me being an entrepreneur is not the same thing as me being a capitalist and me making money is, is okay. And me making a good wage for what I do is okay. And it's not that I need to like reduce my own like rates or fees or anything like that in order to like fix the system. Like the system's fucked. Like me yeah. making more money incredibly, <laughs> is not, is not the problem.
1: And to kind of, uh, I won't go too far down the rabbit hole on this one, but like, you know, even uh, even uh, assume that capitalism is is like kind of a negative word. It's like actually, capitalism is good. The problem is when you get to this weird neoliberal capitalism that we exist in, where it's like all the money is holding onto the levers of power. If you look at kind of American politics, we always kind of, um I think on both sides, they look at like European nations, like is it like Norway or something like that, for like how good they are, they're capitalists, but it's like, they work under a model called compassionate capitalism, where it's like, there's limits to the top end, you know, and, and there's, they're also encouraging entrepreneurship. So it's like, you can get into business to make a profit. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it's like, if you're just in business to make a profit, I think, in the end, people are going to see that in you. And and I think what you were saying about pricing is something we all feel at the beginning of a business, where it's like, you know you're valuable, but you're terrified to show people that. And and once we, that's kind of the same thing with that attribution, where it's like, where you're in a, a gr- room with a group of people who are all kind of afraid to talk just as much, just as, much as you. It's the same thing with billing. Like, I, I go through that all the time. Like, I, I for the longest time, I couldn't justify billing people so much money because if I ever got any pushback, I'd cave. (laughs) And then I went and got a haircut and it cost $80. And I was like, well, I think I need to charge more than $100 for a tax return. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that's one of those things where it's like, I would say a lot of the things I've coached people in business, I'm also guilty of not following myself (laughs) sometimes where it's like, I still always run into an issue with billing because it's one of those uncomfortable things where you're like, I'm having so much fun doing your work and taking care of, you know, hel- helping you giving value to you that I should see that you're also happy to pay the invoice. It's just one of those things. I'm always uncomfortable when I'm invoicing people.
0: Mm, yeah. I will definitely tell people I've like turned something around to somebody and been like, you didn't invoice me for enough. So go double that and send me the invoice back. And I remember the first time I did that to, um it, it was a friend who was helping me out with um, some headshots and they were just like, what? And I was like, yeah, go double your invoice and send it back to me because like, they just didn't know. Cause I was like that, what they had done was like so much more valuable to me. I want to go back to like one of the things you had just said though, about capitalism. Cause we could also, we could talk about oh, this. We could do one
1: whole podcast ever, on that.
0: <laughs> forever. Um, yeah. And I wouldn't say that it's like capitalism is actually good. Cause
1: mm. again,
0: we could talk about this for a very, very oh, long yeah, time yeah. because I think even when we call it like compassionate capitalism, which I haven't heard that term, so I'm going to have to look that up. But just this idea of so much about capitalism is like, is incumbent upon having to exploit people. And that's where I get like a little bit like squirrely sometimes when I'm like, capitalism's good. It's like, eh, I don't know. I don't think so. Cause it's like, it is predicated upon having that, like, um, those different classes of folks and creating that wage gap. I do think that that's like one of those pieces. And I think that that was probably part of my, like my discomfort with being an entrepreneur and being like, I don't in any way want to make people feel like they're exploited. Like, or yeah. anything like that.
1: well, and, and that's like capitalism in its current iteration. Like you're saying, like it exploits people and it's kind of a race to the bottom, right. Of like cutting costs as much as possible, even cutting quality just to make a buck. And it's one of those things where you have to be careful to give it too much power on either end, just like any other system, just like any system of governance. it's just like there has to be some leveling that happens here where it's like under like compassionate capitalism, where it is a little more like social, you're getting more worker support, you're getting benefits you're you're just people are operating at a a more secure level in their economy, where it's like in the u s we're champions at creating financial insecurity for our working class. And I don't think it's by accident. Um, oh, it's 100% yeah. <laughs>
0: not by accident is it is 100% by design. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so much of what I want to do. And the reason I started this podcast is to bring folks on who are doing like cool shit and who are like a lot of fun to talk to because like, why would I bring someone on? I didn't want to talk to. Um, well, well,
1: thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I mean, and I know that like, it's, I think it's so funny because, I have told a couple of people that I had my CPA coming on the podcast and they were like, really, what are you going to talk about? And I was like, oh, he's fantastic. Like he is the best. And um, I think people are going to have so much fun listening to this.
1: Your Um, your words, not mine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I think that like, you know, one of the things like I like keep coming back to is just like in this like moment where everything feels Pretty shitty and things like that. And this this episode will get released right before tax season hits too, so it's going to feel extra stressy. <laughs>
1: Incredibly beautiful, yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. And so I, you know, how are you finding hope in this moment? In the in yeah, in your work, in your life? Like, wh- where is that coming from?
1: Hope is a day to day struggle, I think. uh Just especially given our our current political and and just the world we find ourselves in economically, as well as the whole COVID pandemic. It's like We've just been in an area of constant disruption, and I think our generation is is uh, definitely becoming calloused to uh, to having macro events upend pretty much every plan we could ever make. I think when it comes to like finding hope and and kind of getting something out of like what what gets you up and what makes you want to give a damn is conversation is is getting to know people, kind of getting outside yourself and learning things about people. You know, I think that's where I find a lot of value for me and just being able to talk with my clients and kind of see what their challenges are and maybe I can help with them. And I think I think through building that community, it gives you and I don't want to sound hokey, but meaning, you know, <laughs> like, like it brings a lot to you to to be able to help someone, even if it's with a tax return. Uh even if it's filing ten ninety nines. Uh you know, it's 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 that thing if like you can help someone someone else kind of take a load off or, or have an easier go of it you know someone's going to be out there paying it forward and doing it for you and so i i kind of I, I look at the world kind of optimistically still even in dark moments uh you know, i look at the world optimistically and i really kind of believe in a lot of that uh karma you know mm-hmm. like just kind of like if you put good stuff out there more good stuff exists in the world simply because you're putting it out there <laughs> And hopefully that joy spreads kind of thing. So I I think really what's been giving me a lot of hope is just been talking to people, um, getting outside to myself. And I mean, real conversations with people, like it's not small chat in an elevator kind of thing. It's it's like conversations and it's in person or, you know, over the phone or in a, a screen conversation versus like, you know, fighting with your uncle on Facebook or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've gotten out of the social media thing because uh, those apps just exist to manipulate you and make you angry.
0: <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Angry or like despondent is kind of my feeling sometimes.
1: I think they go hand in hand. It's like you're angry and then despondent because you can't do anything with that anger, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and, and so it, it's just kind of a uh, Once again, this is kind of capitalism's race to the bottom. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are all just like I'll find maybe the quote for the um, or the link for the show notes. But uh, Charles Blow or Blow, I don't know how to say his last name, but the columnist over at The New York Times, he had written this like I just saw it as like a snippet, I think, on social media, of course, on social media. uh, But about how like we have. We will look back at this time and how we have become tools of the capitalists in the way that we create, we have this incessant like creation of content. And we we did we like that is like we became the tools of the capitalists in that way. And I'm like, oh fuck, I hate that. Well, also people are going to know about this podcast on social media.
1: <laughs> well, I, I mean social media, the existence of social media has done an incredible amount of good for the world. And at the same time, it's a double edged sword because a lot of bad can be done with social media. And, you know, the thing I think we all forget as individuals is that we are the product. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, the companies are very much aware of that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that we're on their apps and using their app for a considerable amount of time during the day is what makes them revenue. You know, maybe if that model changed, they wouldn't chase the thing that makes us uh engage the most which is anger but yeah in, until that day uh, <laughs> it's gonna be a lot of trouble but no i i listened to uh ezra klein actually at the new york times like I, I love his podcast just because like th- he gets into a lot of thought-provoking conversations and he also approaches a conversation from a level of depth and understanding that i can only admire i don't think i'll ever achieve but yeah that that type of conversation towards technology and kind of how it's made to manipulate us is is an important conversation to have.
0: As we're on the top topic of podcasts, though, um, tell me about your favorite podcaster, besides <laughs> me, obviously, because we were talking about this the other day.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that you were asking the question of like, who would I want uh, anybody in the world to listen to this podcast? And I was I was just stumped, uh, like stumped, right? And I, I really like, I very much admire the guys at Kirkwood Media. I love pretty much every podcast coming out of that thing. Uh, I, I don't think I can actually listen to them all because I don't have enough time in the day. Uh, but John, love it. I want that guy on here. <laughs> I, I, I would love to have a conversation with him. But also, I would love for him to hear this podcast because maybe then Cricket Media would, uh, you know, get you guys a contract, get you up there. <laughs>
0: love that. And, and also at the same time, like I could never be under anybody else's thumb. I would have oh, to yeah. have complete yeah. creative control over anything.
1: If um, if anybody's going to give you equity in the podcast space, it would be Cricket Media, I think. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I if like they that. don't, then we'll blast them on this podcast. <laughs>
0: totally. Totally. That's what we'll do. Uh, cancel
1: that. culture is
0: real. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm just... Is there anything else we haven't covered that you want to make sure we talk about?
1: There was something I I kind of thought about while we were actually chatting, um, (laughs) I think on capitalism of all things, but, but really like kind of getting back to getting to know people of different cultures and kind of, and getting out and learning. I think when we're looking at our atmosphere politically and we're looking at the equity issues out there, I think a huge thing is, I mean, this is my own experience and this is definitely like, not like a statistic kind of evidence, but it's like the majority of people that I've run into that have those extreme right-wing beliefs or like those nationalistic beliefs, like I don't think there's an inhumanity to them that they, they're actually like looking at inequity and thinking that's a good thing. I think it's a matter of perspective where I think the biggest thing for people to learn about other cultures and to, to like get out is to travel outside of your space To go to a place that makes you uncomfortable and try to understand it. And, you know, I I think a majority of Americans don't have the economy to be able to do that. Um, And so I think a big part of our workforce being economically put down also keeps our workforce like sheltered in the sense of you don't go outside of your town, you don't go outside of your bubble, and you don't experience people who are vastly different from you. And I think if people had more exposure to, The people they don't understand or the people that may scare them. I think that would go an incredible length just to once again, get back to kind of my my thing about humanity. It's like value the humanity in people and value those differences where it just doesn't happen because everybody's too busy going to and from work. Everybody's too busy worrying about paying for fucking groceries before they can even get out and be a part of their community and get involved with people who are different than them or the community, the greater community around them. So it's, I, think, I think the big thing we can do if we can get ourselves free of that economic bind is to encourage that in other people, is to, to just get to know the humanity in people. Like the, When I start talking to people, I don't, I don't ascribe them any political beliefs. I'd rather just have the conversation with them and learn about them I'd rather not be like, "Oh, I'm not talking to him because he's uh, <laughs> he's a crazy person." Uh, there are extremes, like but at the same time, it's like there's plenty of people that are that are politically conservative or in the Republican area that you know a lot of people write off just because they haven't had the opportunity to see the humanity in other people. And I think the biggest thing we can do is help lift everybody up to a, a a place where they can do better for not only themselves but their communities and the people around them.
0: Yeah, I love that sentiment. And also I know I'm petty as fuck and also will not <laughs> chat with trumpers if I can ever help it. Um nobody will be surprised by that. But I think I think you're right. Like being able to like recognize people's humanity and being able to kind of like be engaged in relationship with folks in order to be able to create the change that we need to create and create that like understanding is is vitally important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And 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 like touching back to that that my camp experience of getting to know people yeah. from other cultures and areas, it was like my world greatly opened up when I drove across the country. Um, you know, and, and got to see other areas. And then even further so when my my wife and I actually modified a camping van and for our honeymoon, we took like a, a little trip around the western states and seeing national parks and, and kind of just being in those those places, you kind of see the area, you kind of get to know the people of the area a little bit. And I I think, you know, just understanding and seeing more of the nation, I think will make everybody kind of consider the betterment of the people within it, uh, rather than their macro political beliefs that are just being fed to them via a media channel, or Mm -hmm. various media channels. And, And so, you know, all we can do is kind of get out there and have people experience us, and hope that they can eventually get out and experience other people themselves.
0: I love that. I like that idea of being kind of like a, I want to say like a beacon, even though I know that's not the right term, um, but just like, yeah, being able to be that like touch point for other folks to be able to then go out and, and grow more. I love it. That's yeah, great.
1: yeah. There's there's a lot, a lot of growing in just valuing the humanity in people. <laughs> Shh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so so much for being here today. This was fantastic. Oh, it's a pleasure.
1: Yeah.
0: Um I wish we had another hour to just keep talking because you and I would totally use all of that time.
1: Oh, uh, we can we can keep talking, just nobody's gonna listen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, we've run out people's <laughs> attention span for yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, you're one of my favorite people. I'm so oh, glad we you. got to do this. And yeah, just I'm so honored that you joined me on the podcast. And you know, thank you so much.
1: Don't don't tell all my other clients this, but you're one of my favorite clients. Okay. So
0: one of your favorite <laughs> clients? Okay,
1: the 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 favorite. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't I definitely don't tell that to all of my clients okay. Uh.
0: <laughs> no I'm like I know I'm like right up there. and what are your favorite clients? So
1: you're a champion.
0: And I sure am. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Ike Warren for joining me in conversation today. If you want to learn more about his work, you can check out cpacollective.com or connect with him on LinkedIn. Check the show notes for links. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a five-star rating and review to help us reach more people. Make sure to follow Rise and Rouse wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss your chance to hear from someone who gives a damn. Follow us on Instagram at Rise and Rouse and sign up for my newsletter by going to allgoodstrategies.com. Rise and Rouse is created and hosted by me, Erin Allgood. It is produced and edited by Steph George of Stefania Audio. Production support from Grace Cleary-Morin and Jana Krasanova. Our theme music is written and produced by Chris Marion.